right you have. We would be honored if you would join us. What's up, Galactic Voyagers and Asteroid Dodgers? I am Kyle, your intergalactic host, and you are now tuned into the most epic Star Wars podcast on the web, Star Wars Audio Archives. We have set course for part four of the Death Trooper story, all for the most amazing time of the year, Halloween time. Imagine a TIE fighter with a ghost as a pilot, swooping down on you in the middle of a space battle, with a mix of Star Wars and Freddy Krueger music roaring in the background. That's a level of interstellar insanity we're aiming for today. Are you ready to be terrified? Then let's go. The graffiti scrawled on the inner bulkhead was written in Delphanian, but Trigg could guess what it meant. Face gang, keep out. Blood toll. Will you relax? Kale said. Miss is dead. They all are. It didn't make Trigg feel any better. At first, all the corpses had frightened him, but there was something worse about not seeing them. They hadn't seen any more dead people since Sartorius had chased them away from the escape pod. Now they were traveling crosswise through the admin level, in accordance with Kale's plan. Trigg had initially thought that it was because of the hidden route they were using, down these tight passageways alongside conduits within the walls, but now he wondered why they hadn't seen a single body. Hold this for me. Kale handed him the blaster rifles he'd been carrying. Here we go. He removed a loose panel from the wall, reached inside, and slid out a pair of power packs. Right where Dad left him. Sticking his hand deeper, he groped around for a moment and came up with another blaster, a pistol. Here, you take this one. I don't want it. Did I ask if you wanted it? Trigg realized his brother was right. Whether or not there still was something following them, he was going to need a weapon. He inserted the power pack into the blaster clicked at home and tried to find a way to carry it that didn't feel awkward or self-conscious before realizing that there was no way of doing that. His father's voice spoke to him. When you're carrying a blaster, whatever else you're doing comes second. Kale gestured forward, up the walkway. Let's go find that other escape pod. How do you know there is a second escape pod? It's here because we need it to be here. Trigg just shook his head. Circular logic. Their father would be proud. Seriously, though. Seriously? Kale said. The Imperials build everything symmetrically. They're not creative enough to do anything else. So where there's one, there's got to be another. Same location, opposite side. He shrugged. I don't know. What do you want me to say? Trigg just nodded. He'd like the first explanation better. Fifteen minutes later, Kale let out a small but energetic whoop. They had reached the opposite side of the barge's admin level. What did I tell you? The pod looked exactly like the one that Sartorius had taken. Trigg wondered how they were going to activate it without the launch codes, but he didn't want to puncture Kale's enthusiasm. It was nice to see his brother smiling again. He walked over to the pod's hatch and put his face against the viewport, peering into a darkly luminous chamber of softly glowing lights. He felt a wave of coldness slip over him and turned around fast. There was someone coming up the hall. It wasn't his imagination this time, no chance. Kale heard it too. Trigg saw it in his brother's face, both of them registering the deep-chested growling noise getting louder, as whoever it was rounded the corner. Stay behind me, Kale murmured, raising both his blasters up to chest level. If anything happens, shoot first and then run. Got it? Wait, Trigg said, fumbling with the pistol. Where's the stun switch? Kale said something in an even lower voice, but Trigg could hardly hear him over the beating of his own heart. He realized he was about to fire a blaster for the first time, and his life would depend on how well he used it. If it was another guard, they might have to kill him. This was why he hadn't wanted to carry a blaster in the first place, but that didn't seem to make a difference now, because... A man in an orange inmate's uniform came around the corner, with a Wookiee next to him. Hold it! Kale shouted. When the man and the Wookiee saw them, they stopped walking, but neither of them appeared particularly surprised. The man raised his hands, but the Wookiee growled louder, shoulders hunching up, looking like it still hadn't ruled out attack as a possible response. Easy, kid. Put the blasters down. No way, 
Kale shook his head. What are you doing here? Han's eyes flicked over to the escape pod. Looks like we both came looking for the same thing. There's not enough room, Kale said. So why don't you and your friend turn around and go back where you came from? What are you guys, brothers? Han didn't move, but he shifted his attention to Trigg, the corners of his mouth twisting upward in an odd grin, crooked but genuine. You ever use one of those things before? Trigg didn't know if he was talking about the blaster or the pod, so he just nodded. Sure. Yeah, I bet. Come on, kid. Give up the heat, huh? Stretching out both hands, that casual, crooked smile on his face, he started sauntering toward them again, as if he'd already decided how all of this would transpire, and it was only a matter of going through the motions until everybody else realized it too. You take another step and I'll shoot! Kale cried out in a voice that broke high at the end, but by then it was too late. Both he and Trigg had been watching the man when they should have been watching his partner. The Wookiee made it look easy, closing the gap in what felt like no time at all, plowing straight into Kale, knocking him flat, both blaster rifles clattering to the floor, rolling and pinioning one huge furry leg out so that it caught Trigg in the side. Trigg heard himself make a noise like, ugh, and felt all the air leave him like it had been sucked out of a vacuum. He went down too, handed his side, and realized he'd dropped his blaster. It had somehow already materialized in the man's hand. The Wookiee kept the blaster rifles pointed at them, and Trigg felt the last vestige of hope draining out of him like dirty water from a bathtub. What had ever convinced them that they could hold off a pair of career criminals with nothing to lose? The man, meanwhile, walked over to the escape pod. Well, we'd love to take you boys along, but as you pointed out, space is at a premium, so... You'll never make it, a voice said. Trigg looked around and saw the woman standing there. It took him a moment to realize it was Dr. Cody, the Purge's medical officer. He hadn't seen her since the day their father died, but now her pretty face, normally smiling, usually amused about something or other, looked gray and strangely lifeless. Aged 20 years since the last time they'd met. Even her voice had changed. It lacked that easy, pleasant twinge of irony that he'd heard before, that tone of, I'm working on an Imperial prison barge, how much worse can it get? Now, she only sounded tired and resigned. What do you mean? Han said. Go ahead, Dr. Cody said, in that same oddly inert and shrugging voice. Try to get inside. The man pulled on the escape pod hatch, but it didn't open. What? It's locked. How do you know? Zahara pointed at the steady red light next to the security system activated sign by the pod's hatch. Trigg hadn't noticed it until now, either. It's locked down. So, how do we get in? There's a manual override up in the pilot station. Dr. Cody turned to the Wookiee. And enough with the blasters, all right? I hardly think either of you has anything to fear from a couple of teenage grifters. Hey, they pulled them on us, Han protested. And the Wookiee barked out a contentious, whinnying rejoinder, but both lowered their weapons. The pilot station's directly above us. Dr. Cody said. I'll go up and see about unlocking the pod. Chewie and I'll go up with you, take a look at the thrusters. Han glanced at Kale and Trigg. You kids tagging along? We'll stay here, Kale said. You know, stand watch. Han shrugged. Suit yourself. What? Trigg glanced at his older brother, uncertain, but felt Kale reaching down to squeeze his arm gently, yet firmly. Here. Dr. Cody handed Trigg a comlink. I'll call when I get it open, so you can check it before we come back. We'll come back as soon as we can. Leave us the blasters, Kale said. Hans snorted. Yeah, right. Go ahead, Zahara said. You can spare one. Han looked expectantly at Chewie. What? He's not taking mine? But the Wookiee just continued to stare back at him. Great, Han muttered thrusting the weapon back at Kale. Here you go, boy. Try not to shoot off your own foot. Kale took it and nodded, and Han, Chewbacca, and Dr. Cody started to walk away. Dr. Cody? Trigg asked. She stopped and looked back. Is there anyone else left besides us? I don't think so, she said, and Trigg could tell from her expression that she'd been anticipating a different question. 
It wasn't until they were gone that he realized what he should have asked her. What happened to all the dead bodies? They'd been waiting for five minutes when the first alarm went off. Kale had been explaining the plan for why he'd volunteered both of them to wait here. When Dr. Cody gets up to the flight deck and unlocks the pod, we climb in and calm her back to tell her it's asking for launch codes like the ones that Sartorus had. She puts them through, and we're out of here. She's not stupid, Triggs said. Besides, we can't just leave her here. The Imperials will send a rescue ship. How do you know? She's high up, Kale said, gesturing vaguely in the air. You know, connected. That still doesn't mean they'll come back for her. You're really creased about this, aren't you? She helped out Dad in the end, Triggs said. That means something. Look, Kale regarded him with a maddening smile. I know you're sweet on her, but... What? Trigg felt his face and the tips of his ears growing hot. Yeah, right. Kale shrugged, the very picture of fraternal indifference. Whatever you say, it's pretty obvious, though. Just the way you stare at her. Not that I blame you, she's not bad looking. His expression darkened. Just don't forget who she works for. What's that supposed to mean? Kale started to say something, and that was when a high, shrill squeal cut through the hallway from the other side of the sealed doorway. Some kind of localized alarm system. They both jumped, and Kale swung the blaster rifle around a bit too brazenly, Trigg thought. He was getting used to carrying a weapon. What is that? He asked. Wait here, Kale said. I'll be right back. Before Trigg could argue, his brother started down the corridor, the blaster held up by his chest. The sealed doorway in front of him opened with a soft hydraulic gasp, and Kale stepped through it, paused there, and threw one last look over his shoulder at Trigg. Stay where you are, he said, and the door sealed behind him. A moment later, the alarm fell silent. It was like something at the end of the hall had woken up crying, eaten Kale, and fallen back to sleep again. Trigg shuddered at the image, trying to shake it out of his head and having no luck. He stood with his ears ringing, wondering what he was supposed to do, how he was even supposed to mark the time that everyone was away. Restless, trying to keep his mind occupied, he turned back to the escape pod. The little red light was still on, but he tried the hatch anyway, tugging on it just in case Dr. Cody had already sprung it by remote. It didn't open. What had he expected? He put up his nose to the viewport again, cupped his eyes and squinted, trying to see if anything had changed in the arrangements of the glowing instrument panel, but he couldn't make anything out clearly. Then, inside the pod, something moved. Trigg jerked his head back, his entire body stiff with shock, and he stumbled backward on unstable legs. His nerve endings seemed to have been replaced with thin, hot copper wires, pulse racing so he could hear it clicking in his gullet. I didn't really see that, his brain whirred. The lights inside are just making it look like I did, but... He held his breath, listening. There was a faint scratching sound coming from inside the pod. Trigg took another step back until he felt his shoulders make contact with the opposite wall. His eyes rolled over to the doorway that Kale had gone through a few minutes earlier, but Kale wasn't back. There was no sign of him. And the scratching sound inside the pod was only getting louder. An irregular but insistent scrape of fingers. Or claws. Against the inside of the hatch. As Trigg listened, he realized it was becoming faster as well as louder. More eager. As if it knew he was out here and wanted to get out with him. Trigg realized he was squeezing the comlink hard enough to make his hand cramp. He lifted it up and thumbed the power switch. Dr. Cody? There was a long pause, and then her voice came back clear and strong. Trigg? Yeah. We're up on the bridge now. We're still looking for the override to open the pod. It shouldn't be much longer. Wait, Trigg said. Hold on. There's something inside the pod already. What's that? There's something in it. I can hear it scratching. Hold on, Trigg. Another long silence, this one stretching out until Trigg thought he'd lost the signal. Then, at last, Dr. Cody's voice said, Trigg, you there? Still here. I've got the bioscan running up here for the entire barge. Yeah? 
We're not picking up any life form reading inside that pod. Triggs stared at the hatch, where the scraping had become maniacal clawing, and he could hear something else along with it. A wet, slobbering, toothsome sound, as if whatever inside was almost trying to gnaw its way out. I should have asked her about the dead bodies, he thought again, a little hysterically. Yeah, that probably would have been a good idea. The words drifted out of him like smoke. There's something in there. Missed that, Trig. I said... Okay, here we go. I found the lock override. No, hold on. Wait! There was a click, and the hatch swung open. When Kale came back, Trig was gone. The hatch to the escape pod stood open, and he crouched down and crawled inside, the green display lights glowing across his face. Trig? His brother wasn't in there either, but the gassy, festering smell was bad enough that Kale didn't linger for a closer look. It reminded him of some kind of predator's den, the kind you might find littered with the picked clean bones of its last meal. He supposed he'd have to put up with it if the pod was their only means of getting out of here, but for now, he had to find his brother. Stepping back out, he bumped his foot against a small, flat object. It let out a little electronic gurgle. He looked down and saw that it was the comlink Zahara had given Trigg. Kale frowned. It wasn't like Trigg to leave something like that, any more than it was like him to wander off for no reason. He picked up the comlink and switched it on. Dr. Cody, this is Kale. I hear you, Kale, she said. Listen, something happened to my brother. Say again. An alarm went off, and I went to go check it. When I came back, he was gone. The pod hatch is open, but he's nowhere in sight. Just a second, Kale. Let me check something. Kale waited and looked back down at the inner wall of the escape pod door. It was scored with dozens of scratches, some of them deep enough to gouge into the metal itself. He reached down to touch it and discovered it was wet. When he drew back his fingers, they were dripping with blood and something sticky and warm. He wiped it off on his pant leg with a shudder of revulsion. Kale, the scan is showing a life form about 15 meters up the corridor to your immediate right. Do you see it? He turned around, but there was nothing but the same dirty, familiar walls, dim lights, and low, cramped ceiling, yellow and dingy as if stained by the doomed and hopeless breaths exhaled by thousands of inmates over the years. No, he said. There's nothing here. You're positive? The signal's strong. No. It's just an empty hallway, I... Hold it. He put the comlink down and raised the blaster, walking over to the wall for a closer look. In front of him, at shoulder level, he saw a separate wall panel and the words, Maintenance Access Shaft 223. Kale placed the barrel of the blaster rifle against the spring-loaded panel and pushed it open to reveal the wide-mouthed shaft within. A gust of foul-smelling air rushed up into his nose and he groaned, almost gagging, covered his nose and mouth with his free hand, and leaned back into the ripe blackness, looking down. Trig! The sound of his voice reverberated down the metallic emptiness, ringing shapeless in the void. Kale thought back to what he'd seen when he'd gone through the doorway to investigate the alarm. It had been nothing special, nothing at all, really probably just a malfunction somewhere, although one particular aspect of it had stuck with him. A single bloody handprint on the wall, half smeared and still so fresh it was dripping. When he'd seen that, he'd realized it wasn't a good idea to leave Trigg alone, even for a few seconds, and that was when he'd come back to find this. He decided to try once more, leaning back into the shaft. Trigg, are you there? His brother came vaulting up and out of the shaft with a scream. He smashed face first into Kale, knocking him to his knees with a speed and momentum that probably saved his life. If it had happened any slower, if Kale had been given any time to get his blaster back up again, he probably would have shot his brother on pure reflex. As it was, Trigg was already on top of him, still screaming, fists flying, clawing, kicking, and sucking in great drafts of air. He was crying, too. Kale could see, sobbing in a high, choking, desperately frightened voice that made him sound much younger than his actual age. 
Easy, Kale said, holding on to him, noticing now how badly torn Trigg's uniform was, like an animal had been at it. The collar ripped to expose Trigg's slight, hairless chest, one sleeve torn completely away to show his skinny arm. Parts of the cheap fabric were damp and clammy, like the inside of the escape pod hatch. Kale held on to him. He hugged Trigg tightly to his chest, until he started to feel, if not the fight going out of him, at least a kind of exhausted fatigue slowing the panicked thrashing, and kept holding on to him after that, until Trigg was quiet, except for the occasional hitching breath. It's okay, Kale said, and then drew back enough to get his first real look at Trigg's face. What happened? Trigg just stared back at him with bloodshot eyes. If he'd been any paler, his skin would have been translucent. Nothing moved in his face except for the slight tremble in his chin. Did someone attack you? Kale asked. Inside the pod, was there? He waited, letting the question drift out to where Trigg might pick it up and respond to it. But Trigg didn't. The longer he stared at Kale, the more Kale wondered if his brother was seeing him at all. He put his arms around his brother again and held him. Listen, he said. It's going to be okay. I won't let anything bad happen to us, okay? I promise. But the thought of the bloody handprint came back to him again. And he realized that for the first time in his life, he'd made a promise to his brother that he knew he couldn't keep. These thrusters are completely scragged, Han said, as he crawled up from the dislodged floor panel in the center of the barge's pilot station, wiping the grit and reactor grease from his hands. Whatever the engineers were trying to do down here, they didn't get very far. We're not going anywhere in this floating scrap pile. I got the escape pod open, Zahara said. Launch codes are... Dr. Cody? Tisa's voice broke in. I'm picking up new lifeform readings on the bioscan. New readings? Han glanced at Zahara, frowning. I thought you said everybody was dead. They are. She looked at the bank of electronics. Tisa, display all positive bioscan readings. Yes, Doctor. In front of them, an array of glowing, pencil-thin lines began to shimmer into view, their intersecting geometry deliquescing once again to create the barge in miniature. Han said, What the? The three-dimensional, multi-level outline of the vessel, previously an empty, almost elegant, intersection of clean, digitized spaces and lines, was now crawling with blood-red pinpricks of flashing lights. They were moving together, bunched and swarming up from the lower detention blocks en masse, advancing level by level toward the admin area. In the hologram, at least, they appeared to be seething forward at a disproportionate insectile speed. Wait a second, Han said. What are those things? She shook her head. Life forms. Thanks, Doc, he said. Got anything more specific, or are we supposed to just fill in the blanks? Zahara stared at the clusters of tiny lights, each one an independent organism. They were moving faster than she could believe, coming up stairwells, ventilation ducts, and utility shafts. That's impossible. They weren't there before. Tisa, how come you didn't pick up on them earlier? There were no positive life forms earlier, Dr. Cody. Where did they come from? As she watched, more red lights began to appear in the lower levels, seeming to spontaneously generate out of nowhere. Her thoughts flashed back to what Waste had told her about the molecular behavior of the virus, how it masked its lethality, until it had reproduced to a level that the host could no longer successfully fight it. Quorum sensing, he'd called it. Abruptly, she felt as if two tight iron bands had closed around her. One blocking her throat, the other clamping down over her chest, freezing her breath. How many ways are there out of here? Han asked, and she realized he was shaking her. Hey, Doc, I'm talking to you. Just... She pointed to the hatchway and the stairwell they'd taken up from admin. Just the way we came in. Any other escape pods? Only the one we left behind. Zahara stretched out one hand and pointed one level down to the west admin wing. It was already totally overrun by colonies of red lights. That was the last place she'd seen Trig and Kale. She didn't want to think about where they were now. 
The diagram of the barge showed a wide stairway leading up from the admin level to the bridge. And now the red lights, dead lights, Zahara's mind gibbered frantically, were moving in that direction. Great, Han muttered, raising his blaster and turning to face the door. Looks like we're gonna be shooting our way out. Again. Chewbacca growled, shook his massive head, and brandished the rifle, looking profoundly unhappy about the odds. Wait, Zahara said, pointing to the tower protruding from the top of the hologram, and then turned behind her, across the bridge itself. About twenty meters behind us, on the opposite end of the flight deck, there's a docking shaft that goes straight up. Han gaped at her in disbelief. What? Into the Star Destroyer? It's our only chance. Yeah, well, where I come from, they've got a saying. Out of the Nexus den and into its mouth. Whatever those things are, there have to be hundreds of them. How long do you think your power packs will hold out? Then, she heard them coming. It was a thunderous, bullying shriek. Charged with rage and hunger, and condensed down into a solid wall of inhuman noise. It stiffened the blood in her veins. They were rising up from the admin level, pounding up the steps. Zahara looked forward to where she knew the docking shaft stood. As she whirled back to look in the direction of Han and Chewbacca, yelling that they needed to get out of here now, she saw Kale Longo burst through the half-open hatch, leading up from the admin level, hauling his younger brother's body in his arms. Run! Kale shouted, and he himself was running so hard, so frantically, that his feet barely seemed to touch the ground. His head was on some kind of loose pivot, spinning to look everywhere at once, and his eyes were almost perfectly round with dread. Trig flopped and jostled in his arms. Zahara thought she'd never seen someone look so terrified in her life. Where's the other blaster, kid? Han shouted. I had to drop it to carry my brother. Well, shut the door behind you. Han's voice rang out. But Kale was already bolting away from the door across the bridge. Han braced himself to yank on the sliding hatchway. Chewie, give me a hand with this, will you? The Wookiee fell to work alongside Han, both of them forcing the panel closed again. This way, Zahara shouted, and broke left, she and Kale sprinting almost shoulder to shoulder across the bridge in the direction of the docking shaft. Up ahead, she didn't see anything between the banks of instrumentation panels except for a single open hatchway. It better be in there, she thought. Please, let it be where Tisa says it is. Looking back, she saw Han and Chewbacca charging to catch up. Ducking through the hatch, Zahara could see the docking tower doorway in front of them now, the turbo lift open and ready. We're going to make it, she thought. That was when the sliding door that Han and Chewbacca had just pulled closed exploded wide open. Kale jumped inside the docking tower with Trigg still in his arms, followed by Dr. Cody. He looked back and saw Han Solo and Chewbacca still halfway across the pilot station, the Wookiee firing back at whatever was coming their way. Kale couldn't see what that was, nor did he particularly want to. He could hear it, though, and hearing it was enough. Hurry! Dr. Cody shouted back at Han and Chewie. I have to close off the shaft! From where Kale was crouched with his little brother in his arms, all he could see was the medical officer reaching up to seal off the lift doors, and then Solo and the Wookiee diving inside, Chewbacca still shooting, the volley of blaster fire ringing in his ears. Suddenly, Trigg sat up, eyes wide. Dad? Kale stared at him. Trigg, what? It's him! The younger boy had already pulled free from his arms, twisting sideways past Han and Chewbacca, crawling back out of the docking shaft turbo lift to the pilot station. Dad's out there, he shouted. I saw him, he's... Kale sprang out after him. He flung out one arm as far as it would go and grabbed Trigg's pant leg, hooking his fingers around the cuff. He felt a low, dull thud as Trigg fell to the floor, then got his other hand up around Trigg's waist and began dragging him back into the docking shaft. Then he looked up and saw his father. Von Longo was staggering toward them in a shambling half-run, like something that had been wrenched three different ways at once, wrenched and broken at the hips and shoulders. He was surrounded by a group of prisoners and guards. Except, Kale saw with dawning horror, they weren't prisoners and guards anymore. Not exactly. 
and neither was the old man. His dead yellow skin was mottled with two weeks morgue rot. His skull, grotesquely swollen and partially collapsed on one side so that Kale could see very clearly the grinning hinge of the old man's jaw clicking in its socket. Kale couldn't move. For what felt like an eternity, he watched his father stagger swaying toward him with that horrible clutching gait, his face lit up with a kind of drooling, familiar eagerness. At last, Kale broke out of his paralysis and screamed. Scrambling to his feet, propelling himself back in the direction of the shaft, he saw Solo and the Wookiee pulling Trig inside, but they were looking over and beyond him, into the corridor from which the noise was coming. As if in a dream, he saw that Dr. Cody's face had gone completely white with fright. Kale saw the doctor reach up and cover Trigg's eyes with her hands. Then he felt something grab his leg. He didn't even hear himself scream. When Kale came to, he was sprawled on his back, Dr. Cody kneeling beside him. There seemed to be a great deal going on around him that he couldn't see. Zahara's hands moved with easy efficiency, wrapping a blood-soaked strip of fabric around his lower leg. Once twice, pulling it snug, tying it off. Kale hissed through his teeth, cold, strange air that tasted like iron shavings, and felt his guts recoiling. Where are we? It's all right, her voice was saying from across a great distance. We made it. We're up inside the destroyer's landing bay. Kale rolled over and tried to look around. The pain in his calf was incendiary, intense enough that for a moment he didn't trust himself to speak. He sipped in a shallow, tentative breath and held it until he thought he probably wasn't going to be sick. Then glanced up at Dr. Cody again, the scope of his vision broadening a little. Behind her, Han and Chewie stood outside the sealed docking hatchway. Where's my brother? Kale asked hoarsely. He's right over there. Dr. Cody said. He's fine. Just try not to move. Kale craned his neck and saw Trigg sitting on the floor against the docking shaft's outer wall, curled up with his chin resting on his knees, rocking back and forth, staring at nothing. He didn't look fine. Kale thought of Trigg's stunned voice saying, Dad's out there, seeing the eager thing that had come after him, and wondered if his little brother would ever be fine again. Say it he told himself, and thought back to an old superstition he'd heard as a very young child. Say it three times and make it real. It bit me, Kale said, didn't it? She tightened the makeshift dressing. Is that too tight? I have to stop the bleeding. It bit me. They're curling up the shaft, Han Solo muttered, taking an uneasy step back and glanced back at Dr. Cody and Kale. How soon can we get going? Kale could hear it, the scraping. It was coming from inside the docking tower, hands pounded and scratched on the other side of the shaft, gnawing sounds. Those things down in the barge had climbed right up after them, he realized. Up the tower. Right now, they were breaking their brittle fingernails and teeth inside that metal tube, trying to get out. He thought about what he'd seen when he'd looked back into the barge's pilot station. It wasn't possible, but it was true. The sound of their hunger and anger, along with the stinging pain in his leg, made the memory real. The corpses of the prison barge had come back to life and his father was among them. His father had bitten him. Kale felt his mouth flood with coppery spit and leaned forward, opening his lips to vomit, but nothing came out. His stomach wouldn't quit trying, though, wouldn't say die, as his dear old dad might have said. Dead old dad, his brain blathered, and his diaphragm kept jerking and heaving spasmodically with the awful insistence of an involuntary muscle twitch. Look, kid, he heard Solo's voice saying, its impatience penetrating the thick cloud of horror that had accumulated around his thoughts. We gotta go. Which way do you suggest? Dr. Cody asked. If we can find our way back to the destroyer's command bridge, maybe we can actually get this big beast moving. <coughs> Chewie gave a dubious growl. It's a ship, isn't it? Han said. You've flown one, you've flown them all. We just gotta get past. He gestured vaguely. All this. Kale wiped his eyes and took his first real look around at where Han was indicating, 
The main landing bay and hangar that surrounded them was an endless durasteel desert, whose perimeters stretched out so far that they seemed to elude the eye. Even now, the notion of crossing it was more than he could fathom. And yet... Help me up, he said. Dr. Cody reached down. He took her hands and lifted himself, straightened his back as she guided him. At first, he thought it was going to work. He actually might be able to put weight on the other leg as well. Take it easy, she said. We don't have to rush. The pain hit hard, and Kale fell back to the floor with a silent cry that came out a little more than a groan. He looked down. Blood was spurting recklessly from the wound in his leg, soaking the tourniquet and turning it dark red. He saw Trigg staring at him, but didn't know if his brother was worried about him or about what he'd seen down below. Did it matter? It was all one thing now. Their situations spelled out around them in spilled blood. You can't travel like that, Dr. Cody said. Just give me a second. You'll bleed out before we make it across the landing bay. I'll be fine. She stared at him, then leaned down close enough to whisper. Listen to me. I want you to understand this. If we try to move you now, you're going to die. Without moving her head, she indicated Trigg hunched over. And he'll have to watch that happen. Is that what you want? Kale shook his head. I'll stay here with you, she said, loud enough for the others to hear. Han, you and Chewie can take Trigg and head for the command bridge. At the mention of his name, the younger boy jerked as if shocked and sat up straight, shaking his head. No! He stared at his brother. I want to stay with Kale. Come here, Kale said. The younger boy stood up and walked over. I told you I wouldn't let anything happen to you, Kale said, and I won't. But to keep that promise, I need you to go with the others right now. Trigg shook his head again, violently, tears filling his eyes. He spoke in a fierce whisper. I'm scared, he said. Dad's face. Listen to me, Kale said. That wasn't Dad. Trigg stared at him. That was something else. We know what Dad was like. We remember him from before, and that wasn't him. He waited. Right? But... Was it? Trigg shook his head. You have to go. I'll catch up later. What's going to happen to you? Trigg asked. Dr. Cody and I will catch up to you guys as soon as we can. You promise? I promise, Kale said, and was glad when Dr. Cody put her hands on Trigg's shoulders to turn him towards Solo and the Wookiee. Looking at his brother's heartbroken, terrified expression was becoming close to unbearable now. But Kale made himself do it for one more second. Trigg? The boy's eyes shone on him. I love you, Kale said. Then don't make me go. Doc, you want the blaster? Solo asked. Zahara looked at him, surprised. You'd really give me your last blaster? Well, Han said, looking away. You know, if those things start coming through the shaft... That's all right. You sure? She nodded. We won't be here that long, glancing at Trigg. We'll see you soon, okay? Kale watched his brother's expression, but Trigg didn't say anything, didn't even nod, as Han Solo and Chewbacca led him away. They started across the hangar without talking. Han went first, carrying their soul blaster at his side. He and Chewbacca seemed to know where they were headed, and Trigg followed, a dragging, somnolent half-step behind. Every so often, the Wookiee tossed his head, gave a snort or a grunt, like he was sampling the air and didn't like the way it smelled. And Han would say, Yeah, I know. But they just kept moving forward. The silence was a black cloud that hung over them. The only noise was the tapping, echoing sound of their shoes against the vast steel floor, and outside, the creaking of the Star Destroyer in the black vacuum of space. Otherwise, there was no sound at all. It only accentuated the size of the ship and the limitlessness of the surrounding void. Trigg hated it. In such silence, his mind wandered, except wandered was far too tame a word. His mind ran wild, 
capered shrieking up and down his skull like some lunatic who'd murdered his entire family, jerking to a halt here or there to ruminate upon some grisly trophy or another. Why am I thinking like this? But he knew exactly why. He thought back to the thing that had lunged out of the escape pod at him. The thing he hadn't gotten a chance to tell anyone about, even his brother. The pod thing had once been an inmate, a human. It had worn an inmate's uniform, but circumstances had turned it into something else entirely. Its puffy, dead face and caved-in black eyes had been still vaguely human. But it had jumped out of the pod with a snarl that was decidedly not human. It had gone for his throat, and Trigg's reflexes were the only reason it hadn't succeeded. Spinning around, he had gone blundering down the corridor and plunged through the maintenance shaft, clinging to the inner wall while the thing went plummeting down past him with a frantic yodeling scream. And then, holding on inside the shaft, his fingers slowly going numb, Trigg had listened to it hit the bottom of the shaft with a crunch, its shallow breathing broken, still hungry, still trying to drag itself back up to get him. He thought about that inmate, as horrible as it was, over and over, and told himself it was better than thinking about the other thing. The thing weaving its way across the pilot station toward the docking shaft. The thing with his father's face. That face, also bloated and sagging, had hung off the thing's skull like a poorly fitted mask, stretching at the eyes. Trigg's mind refused to leave it alone. He kept thinking about the way it had grinned at him, as if it recognized him and all the rest of them, the guards and prisoners. Not dead, he told himself. Kale said it wasn't, and you could see it too. Dad's dead. You said goodbye to him. Whatever that thing up there was, it wasn't dad. And he could almost believe it. Almost. Except around the eyes. His father's eyes had always been his strongest feature. Those faded blue irises streaked with flecks of gold, the dark inquisitive pupils, their quickness and clarity, how they sought you out, making you feel like you were the only person in the room. Trigg had always liked talking to his father, and his dad could always make him laugh just by looking at him. The thing upstairs had had his father's eyes. Behind him now, Trigg thought he heard something scuffling across the destroyer's main hangar, and jerked around fast to look back. He could feel the blood tingling in his fingertips. There was nothing there, nothing but the long, flat, durasteel floor they'd been walking across. And far away, on the other side, almost out of sight, the tiny, huddled shapes of his brother and Dr. Cody. I'm going crazy, he thought. And the idea brought no sense of dread. In fact, it was almost a relief. He'd been losing his grip on things over the last several days, and what he'd just seen only solidified it. Crazy, of course. And why not? What else were you supposed to do when the dead came back to life and tried to rip out the soft part of your neck? And if the dead man was your father? But Kale said, Kale's wrong, he muttered. He's just wrong. And he nodded along with his own words, because being crazy meant you could tell the truth. You didn't have to pretend it was okay anymore, and that was good. He heard that furtive scuttling noise behind him again and spun back around, but there was still nothing there. He couldn't even see his brother and Dr. Cody across the hangar, their outlines absorbed by distance and the lack of light. Or maybe the thing that was following them had already eaten them, and they were dead too, which meant Trigg would be seeing them again soon, wouldn't he? In the end, the sickness would bring them back. In the end, maybe the sickness brought everyone back. Trigg began to feel as if he were sinking into a warm, deep bath. His hearing was becoming muffled, his vision softening around the edges, blurring into deeper shadows across the bay. No wonder the Empire had abandoned this Star Destroyer out here in some remote corner of the galaxy. The sickness here was worse than anything he'd ever heard of. It made Darth Vader and his endless armies seem almost innocent by comparison. Thinking about it now made him want to puke and laugh at the same time because that was what you did. That was just what crazy people did when their fathers came back from the dead and tried to attack them. Kid? Hey kid, are He realized he'd stopped walking. Han Solo was standing in front of him, staring at him through what felt like a thick and motionless cushion of air. 
Trig could see his mouth moving, saw him frowning, asking a question. You gonna... But for the life of him, he couldn't figure out what Han was saying. It was like he was speaking a different language. Now the man was shaking him by the shoulders, and the soft wax that plugged Trigg's ears was starting to melt away, opening up his hearing. All right? Han asked. At the sound of his voice, Trigg felt the still air around him stirring, become less stifling, as if he'd just snapped out of some invisible chrysalis and drawn his first clean breath. It stung his nose and made his throat ache like he'd tried to swallow too big of a bite of something, and he realized he was going to cry again even if he didn't have any more tears. Han stood there looking at him awkwardly. My dad, Trigg managed, and that was all. Han opened his mouth to say something, but didn't. To his left, Chewbacca leaned forward and put his arms around Trigg. It was like being wrapped up in a warm, slightly musty-smelling blanket. Trigg could feel the Wookiee's heartbeat and a soft, comforting growl from deep inside that cavernous chest. Slowly, he made himself release and draw away. Okay, Han said, and cleared his throat. <clears throat> you all right? Trigg nodded. It was a lie. He wasn't all right, not at all. But he was better. A little. He looked around and saw that they were standing among several smaller ships, the ones he'd first seen from the other side of the bay. Old rusted vessels, jettisoned escape pods, captured rebel ships and shuttles, a small Corellian freighter. They lay in piles around them, a modest assortment of ruined aeronautics. The Wookiee barked out a question. Nah, Han said. I seriously doubt it. He pointed. We can get up to the main concourse, follow it up. Yeah, Trigg said, because he knew some kind of answer was expected of him. It's going to take us a while to get up to the command bridge. These things are a kilometer long. But if it's got an engine, we can fly it. Trigg nodded. They kept walking. Behind him, far off in the distance, he heard a new sound. Screaming. Zahara jerked sideways and stared back at the docking shaft. The screaming coming from inside the shaft was inhuman. It was shrill and sharp and hateful, comprising maybe hundreds of voices pitched up together. It oscillated in a waveform that the mathematical part of her mind insisted on graphing, rising up to squeeze her eardrums sloping towards silence, then coming up again to the same frequency of precision dynamics. Kale groaned. He was muttering something. She leaned down to listen. Cut it off. She looked at him, startled by what she understood him to be saying. And in case she didn't understand, he was fully awake now, staring at her pointing at his bandaged leg. Doc, please, you have to. Another scream dopplered by. And she waited until it ended. What? Cut it off. It's not necessary, she said. Not right now. I can feel it coming up through me. You have to. His eyes were bright and scared and absolutely lucid. Please, I don't care how much it hurts, just do it. Cut it off. I can't do that. Then kill me. The screaming spiraled up again, louder than before, surging up and edging off in that same pattern. It continued throughout their conversation, and Zahara started shouting so she could be heard over it. Your brother went with Han and Chewbacca. They're on the way now to find communications and medical supplies. You're going to get through this, trust me. How bad is your pain? There is no pain. What? It's not like that, it doesn't hurt. I can just feel it where my dad, Where it bit me. His eyes were wide now, glittering like broken glass and she could hear the whistle of air through his nose as he lost the battle to panic. Unwrap it at least, so I can see it. I'll show you. I need to keep the pressure on the... It's coming through me! Kale, don't. He sat up and grabbed the bloody tourniquets from his calf, ripping them off in layers, 
Zahara tried to stop him, and he shoved her back without so much as a backward glance, intent on peeling away the canvas strips that she'd torn from her own jacket. The last of them fell away in a sodden red heap. See? Kale's face was flushed with horrified triumph. I told you! Zahara stared at it. There was a fist-sized chunk of flesh missing from the meaty part of his lower leg, the exposed shinbone gleaming visibly through a web of torn muscle and viscera. The puckered flesh around the wound had gone a bruised, gangrenous gray. She found herself watching in fascinated horror as that same gray hue began to reach up his leg, past his knee to his thigh, causing it to pulsate visibly with gelatinous vitality. It was like a hand sliding up underneath his skin, reaching eagerly upward toward his torso. Get rid of it! Kale shrieked, his own voice high and reedy, slapping at himself as his voice joined those of the screamers inside the shaft. Cut it out! Get rid of it! Get it out of me! Zahara felt the wheels of time grinding to a halt. Her mind flashed back to one of her teachers at Rinnell, something he'd said once in the classroom. The day will come when you'll be faced with a situation you're completely unprepared for, both physically and emotionally. On that day, you'll find out what kind of doctor you really are, by how much you give up to fear, and how much you remember your training. She tore open the pocket of her cargo pants and pulled out her medical kit, breaking it open. Inside were scalpels, gauze, tape, the most rudimentary tools of her trade. Down in front of her, Kale kept screaming. The gray, swollen pulsation she'd seen earlier had already crept up past his waistline, rippling inside his abdomen, turning pink skin into dull, mottled pewter. Seeing it made her sick. It was like watching meat rot from the inside. He's dying. Or worse. So do something. She took a scalpel from the kit and lowered its sharpened tip into the exposed flesh just below his belly button. For an instant, Kale's screams of fear became screeches of pain, and he gaped at her in total confusion as she widened the incision, fingers probing through a slick jacket of fat to the constricted abdominal muscle beneath. A cold sweat had broken out over her forehead and upper lip. She put it out of her mind, extinguished every detail except what was right in front of her. The strands of muscle slithered between her fingers like taut, damp cords of yarn. She could see them in her mind, feeling the abnormal heat beneath them, that intrusive presence, that thing, cutting its slickly twisted path upward. A whisper of motion brushed against her fingertips, and she seized it and squeezed. There was a sudden rupturing spurt, and something beneath the muscle layer burst over her, a thick, slimy pustule of nacreous liquid coating her hands to the wrists. The screaming coming from inside the shaft was beyond deafening now. Zahara yanked her hands out and looked at them, staring at the way the clotted fluid first seemed to coagulate, then wiggled, and now actually appeared to crawl over her flesh like living gloves. Looking for an opening, a wound it could use to get inside her. It stung worse with every passing second of exposure to the open air, and she wiped it off on her pants, forcing her gorge back down, telling herself if she lost her nerve now, she'd never get it back. Below her on the floor, Kale's face had gone pale, ashen. He was staring at her in a state of shock. She kept hoping that he'd pass out, but so far he hadn't, though he'd at least stopped screaming. I have to go in again, she said. I have to make sure I got it. Before he could say anything, she shoved her hand back in through the incision, sliding in, feeling around, waiting for that little wiggling clot of activity against her fingers and not feeling it. When she looked down, she saw that the grayish-black rot color was still there, just above his waistline, but it hadn't come any further up. I think we got it. She took a deep breath and looked at Kale. He'd finally blacked out, eyes mostly shut, rolled to the side. She gathered up the shirt she'd ripped off him and started to fold it up, pressing it down over the wound to stanch the new bleeding she'd created. Sitting back, holding pressure, taking in breaths and letting them out, she willed her own heart rate to slow down to something approaching normal. Whether she'd done more harm than good, she wasn't sure. Except now, Kale was still alive and breathing, and if she hadn't done anything, that might not have been the case.
It wasn't until later, when she'd finally calmed down a little, that she realized the docking shaft next to them had fallen totally silent. The screaming in the shaft had stopped. And then, from a great distance away, she heard another noise. Some faint, respondent roar. Something on the other side of the Star Destroyer was screaming back. Chewbacca was worried about the boy. Trig wasn't talking. Han wasn't either, but Chewie was used to that, depending on the circumstances. The boy, though, that was something else. Young ones needed to express themselves. In the short time that the Wookiee had known him, he'd seen the boy dealing with things far beyond his age. And if he kept them bottled up inside, it could be very bad for all of them. It had started when they'd heard Kale screaming on the other side of the hangar. Trig had wanted to go back, and Han had to physically hold on to him to prevent him from running away. He'll be all right, Han had said. And although Chewie could tell he wouldn't, he knew what Han was doing. Getting the boy as far away from the docking shaft as possible before those things broke through. Trig fought him anyway. Fought hard, kicking and punching, trying to squirm away until Chewie had to intervene and physically pick the boy up and hold him back. Not a hug this time. Not even close. The boy was stronger than he looked. Chewie ended up carrying him for the next 20 minutes until Trig, in a low voice, had muttered, You can put me down now. It was the last thing he'd said. As much as he understood the mission, putting distance between themselves and the shaft, Chewbacca didn't like venturing any deeper into the destroyer. The long corridors, the vacant spaces they kept coming upon, turning corners and seeing nothing but random droids, the emptiness that didn't really feel like emptiness. Who had designed all of this? And who had left it here? Had they all died? And if they had, what had happened to the bodies? Some of the avionics were still functioning, and they occasionally came across whole empty suites of blinking lights. Navigation and atmospheric systems operating on and on endlessly without the influence of any living thing. At the end of one hall, they came across a stormtrooper helmet lying on its side like a broken skull. A second one dangled from a chain above it, its faceplate stained with dried blood. Han kicked the first helmet over, and Chewie could smell something horribly rotten and sweet inside it. The plasteel mouthpiece had been carefully ripped out to expose the wearer's lower jaw. It looked like an artifact from an ancient civilization, a cannibal cult. Why would anybody have a thing like that? It felt like they had been walking for a very long time, without even putting a dent in the distance that they still needed to travel. And what would happen when they did reach the command bridge? Despite his partner's bravado, Chewie wondered if they really would be able to fly the Star Destroyer. They had found a second blaster. It was the one worthwhile discovery so far, and Chewie was glad to have one of his own, if only to better protect the boy. What's this? Hans said from ahead of them. Chewie, give me a hand with these, huh? Chewbacca looked back to make sure the boy was coming. He was, not looking up from his feet and went to meet Han, who was pointing to a stack of shipping crates blocking the corridor. They appeared to have been shoved here by someone in a hurry to get on to other things. Chewie studied the writing on the side of one of the boxes. Imperial Biological Weapons Division. When he glanced back up, Han was already hauling the boxes aside, trying to clear their path. A big crate on top fell over, and Chewbacca saw a red steel canister go rolling off to the side. It slammed into the wall with an empty clang, rebounded, and stopped under Han's boot. What were these creeps messing around with out here? Han said. More to himself than Chewie. But the Wookiee gave his opinion anyway, which was that none of this made him feel any safer about their prospects. This one busted its pressure valve, Han said, inspecting the tank. There's no markings on it at all. Like the whole thing's just been painted red. You see any more of these lying around? Up here, Trig called out. While Han had been talking, Trig had climbed on top of the next pile of crates. Twenty or thirty at least, stacked two or three deep. The boy was nimble. It took Chewbacca almost twice as long to clamber up the stack next to him and yank off the top to look in. The crates were full of cylinders, dozens of them, stacked in neatly ordered rows. There were a few loose red tanks up here, but all the rest, 
the ones that had been repacked with military precision, had been painted jet black. Chewbacca lifted one of the black ones and heard something sloshing around inside. He held it up so Han could see it and spoke in Shrewook. It's still full. Different formula, maybe, Han said. Different combustibility or something? Who knows? There was a whack as the bottom of the tank slipped from Chewbacca's grip and hit the others inside the crate. Hey, be careful with that thing, will you? Chewie put the black canister back in its place, noticing that the gauge readout already stood at maximum pressure. He wondered how long it would be before these tanks started leaking like the red ones, and what would happen when their contents filtered into the destroyer's atmosphere. He didn't tell Han what he'd felt inside the tank that had made him almost drop it. The sloshing motion inside had kept moving back and forth, and in fact, it felt like it was moving by itself. Like there was something slopping around inside the black tanks, dripping off its internal walls and trying to get out. Something alive. Whose idea was it to come aboard this thing anyhow? Han asked with disgust, not awaiting an answer. He'd already climbed up the makeshift barricade of crates, following Chewbacca and Trig down the other side. Chewbacca had the best hearing of the three of them, and he could have sworn as he walked away that he heard something start hissing. Han froze in his tracks. What's that? Chewie stopped and cocked his head, and then looked up with a growing feeling of apprehension. He could hear something overhead, he realized, a rising scream. It was accompanied by a rumbling sound, some gargantuan, many-legged thing plodding heavily directly above the durasteel-paneled ceiling. Han pointed in the direction they were headed. It's coming from that way. Chewbacca saw the boy's mouth fall open in shock. The lights started shaking, and the Wookiee heard the creak and pop of metal overtaxed with the weight of whatever was approaching. Get back, kid, Han said, pushing Trig aside as he aimed the blaster up. I think it's gonna... The ceiling buckled, twisted, and split open. Through the hole, Chewbacca glimpsed a solid mass of dark-eyed faces, arms and legs already trying to push through. Some wore Imperial uniforms, others were dressed in stormtrooper armor, a leg piece here, a shoulder piece there, or wearing broken helmets. Only then did he get a true sense of how many there were up there. Perhaps hundreds, maybe more, an entire army of the dead. They were reaching down for him, reaching down for the boy. Chewie wasn't sure who fired first. One of them, he or Han, or maybe both of them at the same time, squeezed off a round of blaster fire into the tangled mass of squirming bodies. After that, it didn't matter. Some vital piece of infrastructure inside the ceiling gave a sharp pop. It was as if a hole had been torn open between the worlds of the living and the dead. Bodies came spilling down in front of them. An avalanche of stinking yellow flesh and broken armor, grasping hands and shrieking mouths. Some of them landed on their feet, others hit the ground with all fours and stayed that way like animals, grinning up at them, baring their teeth. Their eyes were flat and lifeless and hideously hungry. Get behind me, Han shouted. Trig didn't move. Paralyzed, Chewbacca thought, grabbing Trig by the arm and yanking him around behind him as he and Han turned and opened fire. The dead things recoiled as if they hadn't expected blasters. Chewie sprayed them point-blank, watching stormtrooper helmets explode and burst to reveal swollen, half-decayed faces, whose only expression was a kind of cheated rage. Next to him, Han was shouting something, but Chewbacca couldn't hear it over the blasters. The corridor in front of them was filling with smoke. Distantly, from what felt like the other side of space, he could feel Trig gripping him tightly, the boy's fingers digging into his arm, clinging for dear life. In front of them and up above, more of the things were tumbling down, half falling, half jumping, fresh corpses piling on top of the ones already there. Chewie realized that it didn't matter how long or hard they pounded the bodies with blaster fire, they were just going to keep coming. He growled loudly. I know, I know. Han's fingers gripped his arm. Go on, I'll cover you. He saw Han pointing to another hatchway at the end of the corridor. Scooping up the boy, Chewie pivoted and broke for it, diving through the hatch without a look back. An instant later, Han leapt through behind him, slammed the console on the other side, shutting the door and fired a round into it. Chewbacca realized he could already hear them on the other side, attacking the door, screaming. 
He and Han exchanged a glance, and Chewbacca saw something on his friend's face that he hadn't seen in a very long time. True fear. For a moment, Han was so pale that the scar on his chin stood out in bold relief. It was like watching him age prematurely, 20 years in an instant. Han opened his mouth to speak, and then something hit the other side of the hatch with unthinkable weight and force. It was as if everything that was inevitable about their future, however brief it might be, had just arrived outside that hatchway with a gullet full of gleaming yellow teeth. They ran. Oh my lord. Now that was as scary as a blowfish in the ocean of Naboo. If your emotions aren't soaring higher than a Skywalker on a Bespin cloud, pun intended, you'll need a Jedi mind trick to reboot you back to reality. But as we journey farther into this series, be ready for surprises that'll make even a Mandalorian remove his helmet. And remember, we are telling this series especially to rocket you into the Star Wars Halloween. So no quote for this series, just Star Wars horror. And until the cosmos calls us again, keep your lightsabers humming, and I'll see you on the Sith side. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archive. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directly. If you enjoyed the show, we greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Kenai Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel and was distributed by Swaycast Networks. Star Wars Death Trooper was read to you by Rick Washington. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I'm your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.